It's time to ignite your soul and unlock your full potential. Join us on Beneath the Helmet, the podcast exploring firefighters' health and wellness. Hosted by retired fire chief Arjuna George, our podcast is the perfect place to start your journey towards becoming the best version of yourself. So come on, let's join the conversation and find out what sets your soul on fire. All right, welcome back, everyone. This is a special bonus Boxing Day episode. So today's episode, it was recorded back in April 2022. Uh, I got to be a guest on the the ever-so-popular and really excellent podcast, A Resilience Project. Uh, this podcast is hosted by a friend of mine and also a fellow coach and podcaster in my space. So, so Cindy Thompson, in partnership with her husband, Robert Thompson, they put together a fantastic podcast that you should really check out. I'll make sure those are in the show notes below. But a resilienceproject.com is her website and highly recommend checking that out. Today's episode is actually episode number 88 of a resilience project podcast. I just like to shout out to Cindy and Robert for allowing me to reshare this on my podcast platform, reach a new audience, and also the opportunity to share my message once again. So highly recommend checking out their website, checking out their podcast. And all that will be in the show notes. This is a bonus episode for Boxing Day. But uh, if you can believe it, we got three more episodes before the end of 2023. So stay tuned. It's bound to be another great set of conversations for you to share and listen to over the holiday break. For all those who are in emergency services, frontline work, uh, just a big shout out to you for your service over this holiday season. It's much appreciated. And for all my listeners in 2023, Thank you for sharing, commenting, give me some feedback on, on, on what you want to see in season two. I'm super excited for what 2024 has in store for season two of Beneath the Helmet. It's bound to be another amazing season of guests, knowledge, stories that I can't wait to share with you all. So stay well over this holiday season. Hope you enjoy this bonus Boxing Day episode with the amazing Cindy Thompson. All right, until next time, stay well. Hello friends, I am Cindy Thompson and this is a Resilience Project. This is a space where stories are shared and possibilities are discovered. I invite you to partner with me in cultivating resilience among humans, one conversation at a time. Hello community of resilient friends. Before we dive into this episode, I want you to know that I am offering masterclasses levels one and two, called Rising. Each class is one and a half hours and runs once a week for four weeks. We will be taking a deep dive into one of the four evidence-based resilience practices that you are going to want to have in your skill set. I will include the link in the show notes where you will find more information and upcoming dates. I hope to see you there. Now, let's jump into this week's burning conversation. Have you noticed that sometimes the very thing that lights us up can become the part that burns us out? As we pursue our dreams and a career we love, it is possible that we run the risk of becoming disillusioned, discouraged, and exhausted. How is that possible when we love what we do? Great question. Anything that takes extensive training, investment of time, sleepless nights, and a heart for the safety of others might lead one to ignore their emotional and physical well-being. 
I suspect those in the trenches and putting their lives at risk for the benefit of others are prone to be somewhat selfless, run toward danger rather than away from it, and are highly motivated for the greater good. Of course, they still need to be safety conscious and attentive to protocols or best practices. So at what cost could this have for those that fit this description? My guest this week is on a mission as a retired firefighter and fire chief to prevent more than fires, but extinguish the effects of stress and provide an off-ramp if you are at risk of burnout. Loyal to a career he loved and a part of an extended family of first responders, Arjuna George has learned firsthand that early signs of burnout can be missed. What does it take to recognize those markers in our body that suggest something is wrong? Like the indicator light on a dashboard, the red light might be the only sign we get before something can go horribly wrong. Arjuna, or AJ as I fondly refer to him, suggests he is a recovering stressaholic with over 24 years as a firefighter and first responder on Salt Spring Island. AJ spent over 19 years as a firefighter and the last five years of his career as a fire chief, serving a community he loves. AJ is also the author of his most recent book called Burnt Around the Edges. In this conversation, we uncover some system issues beyond PTSD and burnout. This is something much more insidious, and yet it is an area that will erode any organization's moral injury. We are taking this issue above ground because it isn't something often discussed, and yet it's important. I am so honored that AJ is here to guide us through some of his personal learnings, the indicators he initially ignored, and what it took to make a radical change in his career and life. Here is my conversation with AJ. AJ, thank you so much for being here on A Resilience Project with me. Oh, it's a total honor to represent and to be on your podcast, so appreciate it. I'm really excited about this because I've been diving into your book and we've just come to know one another in this past five months. And I love meeting new people. I love to hear people's stories. And you have a story of resilience, a message to share with people that I think is really critical for people to hear. I know you've been a firefighter your whole career on Salt Spring Island, retired in 2021. Walk us through what you discovered over the latter part of your career and what happened in those later stages that caused you to make some changes. Yeah, I think I had a pretty amazing career and I feel very lucky that I was able to have a career in my own hometown, which is pretty unique in itself. I joined as a volunteer firefighter in 1997, moved up through the ranks, but later on in life, the thrill of the fire service was dull. I knew I put so much heart and soul into the fire service, so much spirit that I really did not want to let that experience go to waste. I had lots of kind of introspective moments of kind of thinking, is it time for me to just mix things up? Because honestly, I was not as thriving as I once was and definitely not what I wanted to be. I decided to retire from the fire service after being basically burnt out from organizational stress through coaching is what allowed me to see the light at the end of the tunnel and to find out what's truly important to me as a person moving forward. 
through that, I found out that serving the fire community was still very important to me, but in a different capacity. So mm -hmm. I chose to serve the fire community, first responder community in a more coaching capacity than operational. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's a Coles notes, but there's so much in the middle. I can appreciate the beauty of being able to work and serve in your own community. At the same time, that passion, that excitement that people have at the beginning of their career, it's not unusual that you do start to get a little bit jaded, a little bit tired, a little bit burnt out, even just with that nature of the work. I don't know what the lifespan might be for firefighters, maybe before they start to get even more tired. I would say that any job that you're in for more than 10, 15, 20, 25 years, you're going to start to feel some sort of maybe jade, maybe resentment, maybe boredom. The fire service, through most of history, you join the young and you don't change careers ever. I was breaking the mold in one aspect of leaving the fire service before my retirement which I know a lot of young fire chiefs appreciated that and reached out to me and saying, you know, setting an example that it is okay to leave the fire service, that it is okay to transition and do a different job later on in life. Yeah, new beginnings are exciting. You now were ready for a new role and you stepped into fire chief. I believe it was like the last five years. Yeah, last five years. I could appreciate maybe ready for a new challenge, but I can hear that it was somewhat lacking in what you'd hoped it mm -hmm. would be. Can you walk us through that organizational stress and burnout in that role? I was a chief officer for almost a decade. So assistant chief, deputy chief, and then fire chief. The roles are very similar in a lot of aspects. Essentially, I was doing a chief role for at least 10 years. I see. Going through that, the last five years as the fire chief, what I found was the political pressure, the political conversations, the drama, it just didn't fit who I was. I love the fire service, the operations, the fighting fire, serving the community. I love the administration, training. But when it came down to dealing with the politics side of things, which is totally normal, that's expected as a fire chief, I thought I was ready, but maybe I wasn't ready for that aspect of things. That would be my area where I started to feel a little bit less engaged. It really felt like every single day I went to work, I was putting out fires, not real fires, mm. political fires, drama fires, silly stuff that really took a lot of time from my day where I was actually wanting to be productive and do good for the community, where it felt like most of my days were arguments or putting out fires. That just didn't bring joy to me anymore. I totally understand that as the role of the fire chief is to be a political figurehead. Some people are meant for that. Some people are meant for different positions. My strength was a leadership component of it, but the political side just wasn't my cup of tea. Mm -hmm. When you decided to step away, what were the signs that it was time? Mm. I think I ignored a lot of the signs for a long time, unfortunately. I would say probably a good three, four years, I was probably in fight or flight most of the time. Occasionally some freeze components of the stress response. Uh, constant headaches, fatigue low motivation to really do good in my job anymore. It was mundane, just go to work, do the same thing. Just didn't feel the same anymore. I definitely wasn't taking care of myself. I was feeling a lot of body aches and pains. I told myself I didn't have time to exercise because I had too much other things to do. But looking back on that, it's crazy that I said that to myself because there is time for exercise and time for self-care. I really put everyone else in front of me, which is part of servant leadership, but I really felt like I put everyone in front of me way before I took care of myself. 
I just felt a lot of fatigue, a lot of anxiety. Depression didn't hit, but anxiety was always worrying about what was next, what was the future. That put me in free state sometimes where I'd be so worried about the future that I'd be just like frozen and wouldn't be able to operate the way I want. I want to thrive in anything I do. Hmm. Someone's not fitting the bill here of who I want to show up as. <laughs> Picturing you as a young firefighter and all the reasons why you got into it. You are on call and want to respond to help others. I can imagine the energy, the drive, the meaning and purpose that comes with what is a good day's work. I read in your book that really your best day is showing up on the worst day for somebody else. I'm guessing there's a lot you don't have control over that your hands are tied on. hundred percent. I came across something called moral injury, which is definitely a new term that came out of the military combat terminology. Moral injury essentially is seeing decisions getting made that were going against your morals, your ethics, really your core principles of who you are. The biggest part is you don't have a decision around that. You have no final say in that. As a fire chief, you would think that you'd have lots of final say, but really you're still the middle leader, your middle manager. You can fight for whatever you feel right, but still that is not necessarily the outcome. And for me, I really felt moral injury most of my career as the fire chief, because a lot of the decisions that I wanted to see happen for my firefighters or for the community just went against who I stand for. Mm -hmm. Do you think that became a deal breaker for you, AJ, in your stress in what led to that final decision to leave? It played a very massive role, if not the biggest for sure. It was the 23rd of June, 2020. I woke up in the morning, hadn't talked to my wife, hadn't talked to my kids, hadn't considered talking even to myself about this. And within minutes of waking up, I walked out into the front yard, nice, beautiful, sunny day, called my CEO and said, effective today, I need to take my stress leave. I have no idea how that came out of my mouth. A few days before that, I definitely experienced some moral injury factors that I'm sure just tip that over just a little bit where I really felt like it was time for me to take a break. Mm -hmm. And during that break, my heart, my soul, I really said that this is the end. And I even said at one point the words, I'm free. Wow. That's powerful. I hope that people listening are going to pay attention to those early indicators of burnout before you hit the wall. You hit that wall and then your body was letting you know you needed to pay attention. But there was lots of indications before that. I love that we get to talk about burnout here in this way. Love the name of your book, Burnt Around the Edges. This is so appropriate for your career. There was a quote in your book where you were talking about burnout. Just like firefighters' helmets, we have learned that a dirty helmet is a badge of stupidity and a clean helmet is a badge of honor. So what is it that we're priding ourselves on and pushing through and trying to maybe gain a sense of purpose, like trying to get a sense of value? And yet, what is that bringing us at the end of the day? I really think there is a time for grit, a time for drive and pushing hard. But just like anything else, you can't sustain that forever. I wanted to make sure that I was working more than anyone else. I wanted to be almost seen and that wasn't something for me. It was just, I felt it was my responsibility to work more, mm -hmm. to be available more, to go to more workshops, to go to all the courses, go to the training nights. I felt like it was my responsibility to be there for everything. 
looking back, that was my own self-sabotaging myself because I really didn't have to be there for everything. I didn't have to be there available all the time. I think that's the grind mentality of just work, work. There's no time for sleep. If you get three, four hours a night, that's good sleep. That's crazy talk. Mm-hmm. There's gurus out there that are preaching that working yourself to the bone and work more than you sleep. Don't bother taking vacation. Vacations for wimps. I'm all about self-care now. And I had to go through that myself. I'm an example of what not to do in one aspect. But now with my new understanding, I'm an example of what to do. I really spent two, almost three years of really immersive self-care, introspection, looking at who I am, what I want to do, what's important to me. I put a lot of work into that. And I really tried every modality, any technique, any supplement under the sun to recover from my burnout. I was really doing that all for myself. But as I went through the process longer and longer, I was like, I got to share this. Mm. That's where the book originated from. There's so many gems in there for us. Thank you. When somebody is going through that level of stress, it also impacts families. How did that show up in your family that you might want others to hear and to listen for? Mm-hmm. Well, I would say for the fire service, a very high divorce rate, probably very similar with other first responder agencies, very high alcoholism, drugs to cope through these fight or flight stress responses that people are seeing. I was extremely, extremely blessed to have an amazing supportive family. I really was lucky in that regard. I think probably if I was in a different situation, I would have been divorced and would have been not a good relationship with my kids. I have a great relationship with my kids. Got an amazing wife who's been supportive since day one. We were young married when I joined the fire service and early on made a little deal that when I came home, because she could obviously see that there was a lot of pressure on my plate and a lot of hours I was putting in even when I was a firefighter, we called it a little defrag time where I would walk in the door and it was a transition period. Initially it was, I walked in the door and I either went to the bathroom or I went to my bedroom and just took off my uniform. As soon as I took off the uniform, I felt like, okay, now I'm turning into dad, Mm. husband versus a firefighter. I just sat there for five, 10 minutes because things were just racing through my mind. Unfortunately, that wasn't perfect because when I was with my family, I really don't feel like I was present 100% of the time. I was always thinking about what I got to do tomorrow, what course I got to do, that call that we were just at. Could we have done anything different with that call? Could we have saved that person? All these things just keep popping into your mind, especially the higher and higher you go up in the ranks. Mm-hmm. When you're the fire chief, you pretty much stress about that 24-7, or I did anyways. Yeah, the open door communication with your partner is critical. Just having a transition routine, I think, is majorly important from any occupation. You're coming from a real estate office, coming home, and you're not a realtor anymore. You're coming home, and you're going to be a parent or a husband or a wife. Just having that moment, that routine, ritual, whatever you want to mm-hmm. call it, to transition into that home state it makes a huge difference. And I know some firefighters, they'll go out into their garden for five minutes. doesn't have to be growing season. Just go out there, pull a couple of weeds and come in and they're 100% present when they do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that mindfulness, being in the moment. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. must be hard to turn it off when you feel you are just that responsible guy that is going to show up fully 110% in whatever you're doing. I can just hear your backpack. I can hear <laughs> that sense mm-hmm. of responsibility you felt. 
Speaking of backpacks, would you mind mm-hmm. talking about that backpack and how trauma can be cumulative? I think listeners may be in other lines of work that they can relate to what you're saying. So I wonder mm-hmm. if you would speak to the accumulation of things in that backpack. Yeah, I honestly think everyone has a backpack, not just first spotters, but everyone. In the fire service, we have this kind of analogy where we paint the picture, especially for new recruits coming on board. We tell them about the backpack. It's got a backpack. And probably if you're an adult, there's already a few rocks in your backpack. A rock essentially is some sort of past trauma. For myself, my best friend was killed when I was 12. So having that in my backpack was already there before I joined the fire service. My son had an emergency C-section. Very stressful time. Another rock in the backpack. So everyone's got rocks in their backpack. Some might be small, some might be big. Every time you experience another trauma or stressful incident, you're essentially throwing another pebble, another rock, another boulder in your backpack. Sooner or later, you either have to stop, take off your backpack and empty some of those through therapy or self-care to relieve that. If you don't, your backpack's gonna get very full and you will fall over and usually fall backwards. When you fall backwards, that's the time you're either going to the hospital or doing something that's a bit more than self-care. It needs next degree of care for yourself. Mm -hmm. I truly think that everyone has their own backpack. Unfortunately, there's so much trauma in our world that people are coming to the fire service with maybe even a full backpack or other occupations already full. That next call they do is just over the top, right? Yeah. Sometimes we don't know when that's going to be triggered. There may be traumas there that have not been resolved. There can be a situation, a scenario where we react because of that backpack that's very full. You never really know when you're going to be hit by that. If somebody's in a car accident who had a number of physical injuries, head injury, back injuries, and that's impacted their ability to go to work, and they get sent for all kinds of physio treatments, when you have these kinds of traumas that are in your backpack, I can hear it took a long time to heal. I didn't start healing until about two years ago, honestly. I had to hit that wall before I realized it, and that's not ideal by any means. When I hit that wall, it was pretty obvious that I had to start right that second to do something. For the first couple of months, all I had to do was physically just sit on my deck, cup of coffee, glass of water, and just turn off my mind, be mindful, meditate, look out into the ocean. I don't want to say I was a vegetable, but I was close to being a vegetable Just being numb. Numb. Yes. Great word. Great Mm -hmm. word. That slowly dissipated. I honestly couldn't see people. I really didn't want to communicate with anyone except for my family. I just needed that space to decompress from all those feelings and years. There was anger in there. That was a big emotion that I had to deal with. Then after that, I did every modality I could possibly think of. First off, I reached out to obviously psychotherapists and counselors. They assisted with the moral injury component and some other stuff that I actually hadn't even considered as my traumas. There's five people who got killed in this boat accident. There were coffins of children. And I remember it, but once I went through therapy, I was like, wow, that really did hit me hard. And I never processed it. Once again, back to my friend who got killed when I was 12, never processed that either. There was a lot of stuff that wasn't fire related that I still needed to process. Then after that, I hired three different coaches that really helped me see the bright future that I had, that this wasn't the end of things. I wasn't counseling. 
it was coaching that really helped me move forward in life and find what my true meaning was. Mm. Highly recommend body work. I did a lot of body work with energy work, mm -hmm. which is something I've never done before. And that was very interesting. Acupuncture, game changer. I still do that monthly. Therapeutic massage. Massage and acupuncture, I really feel it's more than just a nice feeling. It's not like a spa massage. When you're massaging the body, you're actually massaging the nervous system, your vagus nerve. It allows your body just to relax and turn off for a good hour, which mm -hmm. some people just can't do because we're always going, going, going. It allows you just to one hour, just relax, but also to get your nervous system rebalanced a little bit. I did a whole bunch of hormone testing and I found out my testosterone was very low. A lot of minerals and nutrients were very low in my system. Pre-diabetic, so not diabetic, but I found out that I was insulin resistant, which is basically caused by high cortisol levels through your system. I always drank a lot of water, mm -hmm. but I really, really increased my water intake. I really found out that was good for the body as well as the mind. My water intake went through the roof. Mm -hmm. I started to exercise. I got a puppy a couple of years ago and... He takes me for a walk, for mm. sure. <laughs> it's nice to see you smiling yeah. as you think of your dog, yeah. the value that has brought. I honestly couldn't imagine going through this without him, for mm. sure. He's been a huge anchor in my life, for sure. He goes with me everywhere. I love that. You hear often that is actually very healing to have that mm. pet that's unconditionally there for you, but also your buddy on the walks and gets mm -hmm. you out there. AJ, there's so many practices that you needed to rely on just to unravel that level of stress and to calm your nervous system. I wanted to draw that out because I want people to hear what they're doing to their bodies by ignoring and just pushing it to the limit or over the limit on a regular basis, the damage long-term that they're doing mm -hmm. by ignoring mm -hmm. these things and not taking care of and resolving these traumas. It's been a couple of years of healing. Mm -hmm. I still got years of healing for sure. Mm -hmm. But I feel like I'm thriving now versus drowning, essentially. Mm -hmm. Self-care is going to be a practice that I do for the rest of my life, for sure. This is not a, okay, I'm all better now and back to my old habits of drinking coffee all day and no water or not exercising or not doing any of these breaks or mindfulness. That's all going to be part of my life moving forward. And hopefully I can encourage other people to do that as well. Mm -hmm. I call it body IQ. And I really think that for myself, I felt like I knew the body pretty well. I knew through the fire service, the stress response of fight or flight, but I really did not know how my body operates under stress. When I say body IQ, it's just understanding who you are as a person, how you respond to stress, what your own signs and symptoms are, because everyone's slightly different, and how you react to those signs and symptoms, and maybe some triggers that maybe, oh, I never noticed that. So maybe through journaling or just mindfulness, you can start to have a better picture of how your body reacts to stress. Then when you do have that knowledge, now you have the power to do something about it. Mm. I had no idea about my kidneys and my adrenal glands and how they act. And I had no clue about the vagus nerve and my nervous system, really. I knew the parasympathetic and the sympathetic, but other than that, you have this one body and it's here for the rest of your life, and you might as well optimize it as much as you can. Well said. Often we operate on the no news is good news. Mm -hmm. If we're not yeah. hearing from our body or isn't stopping us from doing things, we don't pay attention. 
there's little ways that our body is talking to us and how we're responding to our world and our lives that we should be paying attention to. I hope that people will buy your book because there's so many practices, mindfulness exercises that really walk people through your learning. And that's what I love about this podcast is we get to highlight what you've been learning in your life, in your career, in your experience. And since leaving the fire service, really identify the importance of this work of really listening to that one body we get. Yeah. 100%. What would you say to that younger firefighter when you were first starting? What wisdom would you have for him? There's two things that keep popping into my mind. And one goes back to the body IQ of just learning who I am as a person and not being so unaware of my own self. I think that was critical. The other one would be just a bit more vulnerable as a young person, because I always felt like I had a wall up, especially as I became a career fire chief. I had to basically put on a mask of what is expected to be as a fire chief. Once again, back to my own self perceptions and my own self talk, I told myself I couldn't go to work sad. I couldn't go to work unhappy. Yeah. I had to be stoic 24 seven and that's not healthy. That's not real, but that's what I told myself. Now that I have that new knowledge about really what it is to be a good human, I think vulnerability is pretty key. I don't think a lot of people do it, and mm -hmm. including myself, but when you do it, holy cow, it's freeing. Mm. It's very freeing to be vulnerable, which you would think would be the opposite. But when you're just yourself, there is no mask. It takes a lot of energy to wear a mask every day of someone who you're not 100%. Mm. So good. Yes. Yes. What would you say to leaders who are leading a team and maybe not willing to be vulnerable themselves or this piece around the moral injury? What would you like to see change out there? I think if you're going to be a good leader and promoting healthy, psychologically safe environments, gotta look at yourself first. Self-care and leading by example. I promoted mental health, self-care every day. Hmm. I thought I was doing a good job. I really did not see any red flags because I was ignoring them. Looking back on it, I did a good job promoting it, but I didn't do a good job of walking in those shoes. Mm -hmm. I think for leaders, if they can't be vulnerable and it's just a struggle for them to open up is to just work on themselves first and find out who they are as a person. This can be through coaching, through personality tests, through lots of ways, even just mindfulness and meditation, they can figure out who they are. And after that, I think psychologically safe environments really need open dialogue. I'm a big fan of just it doesn't have to be the fire chief making decisions or the CEO making decisions. I really think the people doing the job should be part of that. Very collaborative, open dialogue through the organization really helps. Breaking down silos. I really feel silos inside of an organization is not healthy and really creates us versus them mentality, as well as it kind of bruise rumors and drama when there's those silos within everyone's like, oh, what are they doing over there? What are they doing over there? Yes. hundred percent. Let's talk about the seven resilience practices in your book that you have found to be helpful. Would you like to just briefly refer to each of those and tell us what those would involve? Yeah. So the seven resilience practices, it's a system that was built by this author, Linda Hoops resilience. It's seven muscles in your body and they're not real muscles. It's just a picture to help learning. We'll go through all these positivity, confidence, priorities, creativity, 
connection, structure, and experimenting. When I personally did the workshop, which comes along with a survey that you do, for me, priorities and connection were very low, meaning that I was not using those two muscles. So connection, I really didn't feel personally until I dug a little deeper that I was low on connection. I felt like I talked to people all the time and mm -hmm. that was the thing. But what I found out was I didn't ask for help. Mm -hmm. So when I was struggling, I did not ask for any assistance. When I was learning this, I was building a shed in the backyard. And even after knowing this, I was still stubborn enough to not ask for help. I'm not a builder. If I just asked my neighbor who's in construction. Okay. Yeah, I can see that now that you paint that picture of it's not just talking to people or having connections. It's reaching out for support as well. Another one that was causing stress within me was priorities. For me, I have lots of balls in the air. And right now I have lots of balls in the air still, but very much more manageable than I used to. I would be going from one shiny thing to another shiny thing and never focusing on that one priority and working on that. Once I learned about that, my number one priority, honestly, was my health. Then it turned into my book and then it turned into coaching and my business. Mm. I really started to focus in on those priorities versus having myself spread everywhere which causes a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress. You can just focus on one thing and knock it out of the park versus doing mediocre work on the other projects. Yeah, each one of them has a lot of value. Are there mm -hmm. a couple more that you would want the listeners to understand a little bit more in depth? I think there's value in just expanding on it a little further. Mm -hmm. Well, positivity is, I wouldn't say straightforward, but it's, are you walking into the room lighting it up versus turning the lights off and making it dim and, and grumpy for everyone. When you're flexing these muscles, some of them you can actually overflex and mm. use them too often. Your crutch is maybe structure. Maybe I'm too structured. When I'm dealing with people in my organization who are not structured, that causes tension, drama, conflict. Sometimes you can actually overuse them as well as underuse them. Mm. Yeah, it, good point. Then confidence is the can-do attitude. Some people are more confident in certain situations. When you learn that if you can use this within your organization, you can actually learn people's strengths and use them in their strengths. If somebody's super confident under stress, let's use AJ, who's under a lot of stress, but he can make really confident decisions. Let's use him in that scenario because that's where he thrives. Once again, confidence, priorities, discuss that creativity, definitely a huge one. I talk about my book. I really didn't even know what the word joy was. Obviously I knew what the word meant, but I never lived it because I was always work mindset mm -hmm. onto the next thing. What's next? What's next? What's next? I never got to enjoy the moment. Looking back on it, I really had so much experiences in life in a short time, but I was always looking for the end goal versus enjoying what's happening right now. For creativity, I'm a big photographer. Haven't touched that in 10 years. So my creativity was almost zero, especially as the fire chief. When I was in my other ranks, especially the training officer, I was able to flex that muscle a lot because I could make props. I could make training scenarios, all these fun things that really essentially allowed me to be creative in my job. Once you get to that position, what I found anyways, as the fire chief was my creativity just was non-existent. Mm. That adds to your resilience if mm -hmm. you can't be creative. It doesn't have to be artwork per se, just creative and different thoughts. I never in the last 24 years, seldom had a time to just think 
instead of do, do, do. Good point. You're inspiring me to get back to my painting, which I haven't touched for a long time. Thank you for that reminder. Yeah. Uh, I used to fly fish all the time. I used to do photography and one day I'll get back into that. But I'm also doing different hobbies now. Once again, sometimes people can be too structured or not structured enough and they want to shoot from the hip. But structured allows for some people to thrive in it. There'd be checklists or be things that structure their day in a very organized way. Then experimenting would actually be going out and trying different things. Some people can thrive experimenting, just throwing it out there and see what happens. And some people have to go through a very methodic analysis before they pull that trigger of doing that new thing. Yeah, I go into a lot more in depth in my book, but also in Prosilience by Dr. Linda Hoops goes into it even deeper. I offer a workshop that delves into that. I truly think that the more resilient you are, the better you're going to be off with stress, what turbulent things happen in your life, chaotic times. Resilience really is the key to a healthy life. Mm -hmm. Well said. And I've been really contemplating this lately that for some people within organizations, they might be feeling like resilience has been forced on them, told that they have to build this resilience. And yet I like to look at it like a choice that we make every day, not because we're hitting the wall, but because we want to thrive and adapt. Some people I haven't really recognized the need for it before hearing this podcast. There's probably people all the way along that spectrum. I really want to encourage people to see this as a choice. And each of those practices can be built upon and added in like a muscle, like you suggested. If we are mindful of it and aware of it, it's something that we can be watching for perhaps to keep that balance. Yeah, I just encourage people with resilience not to be a yo-yo and just keep bouncing back. I like to think of resilience as being bouncing back, but better each time stronger each time, wiser each time, healthier each time. If you just keep bouncing back, like a weight loss, I lose mm -hmm. 10 pounds, gain 10 pounds. I really think you need to get just a little bit better each time, a little bit wiser from what you experienced, what you went through. That's how you're going to build your resilience. Mm -hmm. Like a good workout, you want to maintain that muscle yeah. and build on it, not quit the gym for a month exactly. or six months yeah. and then go back and rebuild it. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Exactly. Exactly. What is one word that would describe who you are today, AJ? How about two? Sure, you can do two. At ease. Mm. That was a question I wanted in my life through going through my energy work, my counseling. That word kept coming up. I just want to be at ease. That's all I want. I don't need anything else in life. I just be at ease. When I say ease, it's not being lazy or just doing mm -hmm. nothing vacation mode all the time. It's just feeling that I'm showing up as I am. Every day as Arjuna, as my true self, my authentic self, and not having to sugarcoat it or pretend to be somebody else. I'm sure my nervous system still has lots of work to do on it, but I feel like I can relax and just be a normal human, which is an odd feeling mm. for me because I, I feel like I've been energized or bunny for mm -hmm. 20 some odd years. So You're really investing in you now. You've invested in a lot of people over your career and helping others. And now you're really diving into AJ and what he needs. Yeah. Honestly, I truly felt that if I didn't do this, I was going to die. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad yeah. you're here. I'm so honored to have a copy of your book, but highly recommend it for anybody. I'm not a firefighter, but there's a lot of juicy bits in here that I appreciated learning about you, AJ, and about the topic of burnout even further. 
Thank you for taking some time to be here in this conversation in benefit of helping others. Yeah, that's my mission moving forward is just to spread the message of what I learned in the last two years and doing what I can to make the world less anxious, less stressed out. Yeah, any way I can help. Mm, I am very grateful. So thank you, AJ. Thank you. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Before I share some of the reflections on this episode, if you have been enjoying this podcast, I wonder if I could ask you to do a quick favor. I wonder if you would take two minutes to rate and comment on your preferred podcast platform. When you do this, you are helping us to spread the love, partnering with us to share this with even more people who are cultivating further resilience worldwide. Now, let's jump into some reflections on this episode. As I think about this conversation with AJ, I am hopeful that we may create greater awareness for early intervention and prevention of burnout. To see the signs earlier, listen to our bodies and not wait for the indicator light to come on. Like AJ, many of us might put ourselves last, particularly first responders. I also appreciate that we are highlighting a very insidious and prevalent pattern within many organizations. I am grateful that he can talk about the political fires that he needed to manage as fire chief and the moral injury he experienced. For those of you hearing about moral injury for the very first time, I wanted to let you know that moral injury in the workplace can occur when we witness or are asked to go against our personal values and beliefs. It is common for people to feel helpless to speak up or lack the safety and trust at work to address it. The injury occurs through psychological, behavioral, and sometimes spiritual repercussions. Now, there were so many tools that AJ shared with us that I'm hoping to highlight just some of them here for you. One of his strategies for his resilience practice included taking what he called defrag time after work. This is a time to transition, to decompress, shift out of work mode, and let go of some of the stressors held in your mind and your body from the day. He suggested knowing your body IQ who you are and how you respond to stress. What are the signs and symptoms that you want to pay attention to? Expanding on this, I will suggest that this also includes how you feel when you take care of yourself and when you neglect the elements necessary to your well-being. AJ also mentioned, like several of my guests, about journaling, but he added a new practice to this. AJ suggested that we keep track of additional information in our journal about ourselves, like an experiment that you are gathering data on. I think that could be really valuable. AJ also relied on counseling or coaching, going for a walk with his furry friend. I know that can bring so much comfort, that unconditional love that you might have with a pet. Also, leave time to be creative. Pursue things that are very different from what you do in your everyday role. Allow those creative juices to be part of your healing and part of your well-being. Inspired by this thought-provoking conversation, I would like to just ask you a few questions and then leave you with one quote. What is in your backpack? How many rocks do you already have in there? And how big or small might they be? 
What are the indicators that you notice when your backpack is too heavy? I pulled out a quote from AJ's book by Michael Jordan. If you run into a wall, don't turn around and give up. Figure out how to climb it. And finally, remember friends, adversity is inevitable while resilience is a practice. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Resilience Project. We would not be doing this podcast without you. If you or someone you know has an inspirational story or is helping to build resilience in their community, please email me at cindy at a resilienceproject.com. In fact, email me either way. I would love to hear from you. My hope is to feature an episode periodically on your letters of resilience. I'm very interested in hearing your story of how you have tackled hard things and what worked for you. With your permission, I hope to share some of these stories along the way with our listeners. Also, check out my website, aresilienceproject.com to learn more about our amazing guests. Your presence here is important because together we are cultivating a village of resilient individuals. You are creating a space for their stories to be shared and a sacred space for learning to occur. I also have a favor. I would love for you to go to your preferred podcast platform, rate and review the podcast so that we will know how we're doing. I also would like to express my gratitude to the amazing team of volunteers that have jumped on board to support this project. You will find each of those beautiful people on my website on the team page. As you go about this week, I invite you to think about one way that you can continue to grow your resilient muscle. What is one thing you can start with today? See you next week. Thank you for tuning in to Beneath the Helmet. We hope that this podcast has provided you with valuable insights into the world of firefighters' health and wellness. Remember, caring for your physical, mental, and spiritual well-being is crucial to achieving optimal performance. Join us next time on Beneath the Helmet for more inspiring conversations. Until then, stay well.